Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Hope you've had a good fourth and maybe you have tomorrow off and hope you enjoy that. And congratulations on your doctorate. It's very good. What was that in? Doctorate of Pharmacy. That's really good. Congratulations. I'm proud of you. Um, yeah, here we go. <laughs> you did not know I was going to do that, did you? <laughs> I just did their wedding not too long ago, and, and I'm just happy that she's still keeping him. So um, <laughs> that's right. Uh, anyway, we are, we are walking through the book of Acts this summer. And uh, we, you know, we try to plan out a whole year of the messages. So there's, uh, there's a systematic t- teaching that we're not just, you know, jumping up on a Sunday and preaching a message. We, you know, we think through the whole year and then each summer we do a Bible book. And so this summer, obviously we're doing Acts. And, uh, but a lot of thought, a lot of prayer goes into it. And when I'm preparing a message, I read the text if there's some difficult words, I go to the original languages and study those. Uh, then I read commentaries to read what other people have said. Then I'll even read what other pastors have said about those passages because, you know, I just, I, I learned a lot doing that. And then, you know, we talk about it. Uh, I talk about it with certain staff members. We talk through some things and, and they help me with some things and give ideas. Uh, but it, mainly it's just a lot of prayer and in terms of God, what do you want us to hear what is it you want Gateway to know, and uh, and I honestly believe this. I believe that as a message is brought, each of you are actually hearing different things. I think the Holy Spirit will take the same passage and show one of you one thing and show someone else something different. Not not in a contradictory way, but rather in an application way. In other words, the Holy Spirit says, now I want you to apply this to your life. And to someone else out of the same verse, he may say, I want you to apply this part to your life. Um, and, and so that's why uh, each of you can leave here and you think of different things and you're thinking about different things. Um, and if you all sat down together, it might not all be the same. Well, that's the Holy Spirit individualizing scripture to you. And that's the way he works. So as I preach, I know that God is saying something to each of you about specific things and, and that I can only trust the Holy Spirit about that. In fact, there have been times when I've walked out and somebody came up to me and said, when you said this, and I'm sitting there, I didn't say that. <laughs> but that's what they heard. And, uh, and I think that was the Holy Spirit. So I, that's why we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit that as he is truth and as he is life, that he will give light to you about his truth. So thank, we're thankful for that. So Acts chapter four, we're gonna talk about how, how is it that God can be exclusive and be inclusive at the same time. That seems to contradict itself. You know, one one of the primary objections that people have about Christianity is the idea that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. 
I mean, even Christians, sometimes we slip into this attitude of, well, as long as you're sincere about what you believe, you'll be okay. Well, the Bible doesn't really allow for that. You can be sincere about something, but sincerely wrong. And some people, they, they struggle with the idea as Christians about the people, and I'm asked this question. This is probably the biggest question I'm asked more than any other. I don't know what to do about the people who've never heard about Jesus. Is it fair for them to have to go to hell when they've never heard the name of Jesus? Well, that's a fair question. That's a, that's a challenging question. And sometimes we really struggle with that. So we're going to kind of walk through this, try to learn from it. And, um, you know, it's kind of an unspoken rule we seem to have in our society that you don't tell people that their religion is wrong. And, um, I'm even cautious sometimes about what I say from the pulpit about other faiths, unless it's a clear contradiction with scripture. So being sincere does not cut it. If it's sincerity in a lie. So now let's get into our Bibles, turn to your Bibles, chapter four. Uh, for 12 years, I was a youth minister for a pastor, and whenever he told people to turn to their Bibles, he would say, I love to hear the ruffling of the rustling of the paper as you turn to your Bibles. And, and, you know, I can't say that for most of you. What I do can say is I love the warm glow on your face from your devices when you open up your Bible app. And so let's get into this and read Acts chapter 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest. And now you remember what we did last week? They healed a lame person at the gate. You remember that story? That's what we talked about last week. So now they're talking to the people and and, uh, they gave a message to all these people. So while the Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. Now, the reason Sadducees had a problem with that is two reasons. First, they didn't like Jesus and uh, because he had been a threat to their power, which, you know, they just didn't like that. And secondly, they reject the idea of the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in that. And, And so they had really no Messiah, no hope. And that's why they're upset because now they're hearing this message. There is a Messiah. There is hope. There is resurrection from the dead. Opposite of everything they teach. So what did these wise guys do? Very smart people. They arrested them. Of course you do. You arrest somebody who represents something you can't understand or it's a threat to you. So they arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until the morning. Now, why did they do that? It was because it was illegal to have a hearing or a trial at night. Oh, but they just did that a couple of months ago with Jesus. So I guess you pick and choose the rules you want to obey based on convenience. 
Many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. Now, that's not a um, sexist statement. That's just how they counted people back then as heads of household. So when he, when they said the men, they're talking about the household. So 5,000 households were saved that day. So you take a man and, and if, you know, even just half of them were, were married, then that's, you know, that's 7,500 people. And then maybe some of the younger kids that were still at home old enough to understand. I mean, you're, you're talking about a lot more than just 5,000. Now this is interesting. So let's stop and look at the big picture for a second. Just, just recently, just a few days ago, uh, 3,000 accepted Jesus. So now that's 8,000 households that have accepted Jesus. Now Jerusalem during this time was not really a very large city. Even with all the visitors, there were probably only 40,000 people. So 8,000 households out of 40,000, that is a massive movement that is happening in the city. I mean, that's huge. That's significant. The next day, the council, back in the scripture, of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the relatives of the high priest. The reason they were there is because it was a family business. The high priest, the whole thing was a family business. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? You know, it's interesting, just their attitude right out of the gate. It's not like, wow, we, we can't explain what's happened. Help us to understand. No, we, we, we want to know what's going on. You're doing stuff without our permission. And, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of messing with our, our territory. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, you see, already at one time before, Jesus said, don't ever th- worry about what you're going to say. Uh, you know, don't plan a speech. When the time comes, my spirit will tell you what to say. And this is one of those times. And there's a practical reason for this. These guys aren't educated guys. They, you know, the idea of studying and, and doing a sermon or, or preparing a talk, they're not trained for that. That's not on their radar screen. And so it's a good thing they have the Holy Spirit to rely on. So basically, filled with the Holy Spirit, when he is speaking, it's God that is speaking. It's God's truth that is being spoken. So here's what Peter said through the Holy Spirit. Rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Uh, Let me me just get this story right. You're upset because we helped somebody, right? Is, Is that what's going on here? Do you want to know how he was healed? Well, let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. The reason they said the Nazarene, so it'd be clear clear who they were talking about. 
Oh, by the way, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. So if you're actually putting us on trial for healing a guy, then why don't we let you know where the power came from? It came from Jesus. You put him in a grave, but he came out. Then he says, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scripture where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name other under heaven by which we must be saved. And that whole cornerstone idea is really important because when they were building a building, they would set that cornerstone and then that would determine everything else about the building. And if that wasn't a good cornerstone or if it wasn't done right, then the, build, the building would be on a faulty foundation and would be in serious trouble. And so you can be as sincere as you want. And if your life is on the wrong cornerstone, you're sincerely wrong. I remember when we started going to uh, Eastern Europe for mission trips and, um, and just saw uh, we were there shortly after uh, the Soviet Union fell and the Berlin Wall came down and, and we were driving by and they showed us this one um, tall uh, apartment building. You know, I mean, it must have been 30, 30 or 40 uh, stories high. And they said, look at that beautiful building. I said, yeah, that's a pretty building. And then the guy said, no one lives there. I said, really? Why is that? Bad foundation. And it leans. And so nobody can go in there because they did a bad foundation. That's like a lot of people's lives. Their building, their life might look beautiful, might, might, might look happy, but... It's leaning and it's going to fall and it's going to be disastrous because the foundation is faulty. Now let's get back into the scripture. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Inclusive. I mean exclusive. Only through Jesus. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scripture. <clears throat> they were just fishermen. The only school they ever went to was fishing school. And even then, a lot of times they weren't good at it. Jesus had to help them out a couple of times. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, you remember the, at the end of the story last week when they healed that guy? I mean, he clung to them. He grabbed hold of their robe and would not let go. And it's kind of like, you're going to jail. I'm going to jail with you. I mean, wherever you go, I'm going. And he did become a, a follower, a disciple. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. Well, what should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. I mean, do you get what they're saying? They're saying, well, we could lie about it, but everybody would know. 
It's kind of like if people didn't know, we'd be okay lying about it. Now, how dumb is that? But that was their thinking. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further. Now, listen to the arrogance of that statement. We've seen a miracle. It's attributed to Jesus. Maybe Jesus is who he said he was. Did they ask that question? Oh, no, they didn't ask that. Although some of them did individually. And some of them individually began to follow Jesus. Because they just couldn't deny the signs. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. Yeah, that'll fix it. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. I mean, these guys were so arrogant about their authority and their power that they thought, well, all we got to do is just tell them they can't do it anymore and then they'll obey. So what is this like for Peter and John? You see, they know the power of Jesus has healed someone and they know that the Sadducees know. And that they know that the Sadducees know that they know that the Sadducees know. <laughs> so Peter says, and, and you could just hear the sarcasm in this. Uh, let me get this straight. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Uh, is that what you're saying? We cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot for everyone. The whole city was worshiping God. And here the smart, intelligent guys not asking, they're, they're asking the wrong questions. Instead of saying, is there any truth to Jesus? They're saying, how, we, how can we get him to shut up? We couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. So what are we going to do about these guys? Their arrogance extended so far. They just couldn't get to the place of saying, maybe we were wrong about Jesus. They just couldn't do it. So last week, we saw that this miracle showed God's purposes for miracles, and that was to glorify him. This week, we're going to see that it addresses one of the primary objections that people ha have about Christianity, and that, that is that salvation is found only in Jesus. You know, the apostles are not in trouble because they privately believe Jesus rose from the dead, but because they convinced 8,000 households to believe it and follow Jesus. They, they got 8,000 households out of 40,000 people in the city to recognize that the religious guys got it wrong. And so the question goes to the very core of what's wrong in the world and how to fix it. Peter's explanation 
deals with two of the biggest objections that people make today about salvation only being found in Jesus. Uh, Objection number one, claiming that Jesus is the only way to God is just plain arrogant. It's just arrogant. I mean, they say, well, if, if you think Jesus is the only way, then you must think that you're just better than everybody else. And you see things that no one else sees and that God prefers you and not others. So is Peter claiming that they're smarter? (laughs) Not really, not at all. In fact, the text goes out of its way to point out that they weren't smart. Now remember the guy who's writing this, the book of Acts is Luke. And Luke was a doctor, intelligent, educated individual. And so in Acts 4.13, it says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, none at all other than what Jesus had given them. And they also recognized these men had been with Jesus. So this, here's what's funny about it. Luke a fellow disciple, a friend, is basically saying, yeah, my friends here, Peter and John, they're really not that smart. (laughs) And uh, he's pointing this out in scripture. And uh, so it's kind of like Peter saying, okay, Luke, we get it. You know, we didn't, we don't have your education. And, uh, but not, not that at all. But the whole point is, hey, it's not about them. Intelligence is not the issue. Having special training is not the issue. It's a matter of faith. You know, it's kind of like Peter, Luke is saying to them, hey, your IQs are higher and you might have more degrees hanging on the wall than a thermostat. But um, you see, here's a guy that you killed and you put in a grave and he rose from the dead. So let me get this straight. Do I want to believe you because of your education and your training? Or do I want to believe the guy who rose from the dead? I think I'll go with the guy who rose from the dead. That's what they're saying. Acts 3.12. Peter said, people of Israel, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us? as though as we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness. You know, Peter's saying, hey, don't look at us. We didn't make this happen. It's not by our power. It's not by our education or training. This is all about God. Now, Peter, you got to remember, Peter's saying these things, and he's still raw because it wasn't but a few weeks earlier, or a month or so earlier, where he had denied Jesus three times. And he still had some deep, raw emotions about that. So basically, Peter's saying, look, God's salvation, it's from God, and it's a gift. It's a grace of, it's a gift of grace. You cannot earn it. It's something you receive, not earn. You know, um, all religions' claims are exclusive. I mean, all good people of every religion go to heaven, right? That's what they think. Well, no, they don't. Everybody excludes somebody. You know, say, well, yeah, the bad people can't go. Well, then who are the bad people according to your definition? 
I mean, who do you define as bad? And really, who really defines bad? Well, God does. And God says, guess what? Ain't none of you good. No one is good except God. You see, the gospel of Jesus, it's a different kind of exclusivity because the gospel teaches that our acceptance with God is not based on anything about us. Not our moral record, not our education, not our race, not our political viewpoint. God gives salvation as a gift to all who repent and receive it. So if you really want to look at this story, the lame guy is you and me. He had no power to walk on his own. But he had to simply receive the power that God gave him to restore his legs, to restore the muscles, to straighten the bones, to give strength where there was no strength. He had to accept this free gift. You and I are the lame guy. We cannot save ourselves, but we can be saved by accepting what Jesus has done for us. You know, um, maybe you don't realize this, that according to Jewish law, lame, lame people could not go into the temple. In Leviticus 16, 31, it says, the blind and the lame and those with physical deformities were forbidden from going inside the temple. So if you and I are this lame guy, we're forbidden from going into God's kingdom. We're not allowed in because of our faults, our deformities, our mess-ups. We're lame and we're not allowed in. And no one is, no one is allowed in. And that's why it's such an incredible gift that God has given us. We are allowed in his temple because of Jesus, who gave us the power to walk and gave us the invitation into the temple, into his kingdom. One fellow pastor put it this way. He said, all religions are exclusive, but Christianity is the most inclusive exclusivity there is. That's a mouthful. But when you believe this, that means it's not about being arrogant or judgmental. It's about you being loving and gracious and accepting. That every lame person, deformed, disfigured, emotionally, spiritually, physically person can be included can be in God's kingdom. Let me tell you about a tragic story that happened. You'll remember it as I tell it. In October of 2007, in the Amish community in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, it was a horrible thing that happened. A, gun, a gunman who was just mad at God 
took over an Amish school. He sent out all the kids except for 10 girls and lined them up at the chalkboard. Two of the girls offered themselves to be sacrificed if he would let the other eight go. But the gunman at that point shot all 10. Then he killed himself. Now, five of the girls survived, and that's how we know this story. In the aftermath of this tragedy, of those five lives that were lost, the parents of one of the girls who had died, they got into their buggy and they rode over to the home of the shooter. And they went to the door and they knocked and the wife of the shooter came to the door and they said, we're not here for revenge. We lost our daughter, but your children have lost a father and you have lost a husband. We have come to grieve with you. Let us grieve together. Even the cynical journalist said something supernatural and divine was happening in that moment. You see, the Amish are fundamentalists by any standard. But did their fundamentalism lead them to hatred? No. Where did those two girls get the idea of sacrificing themselves and offer themselves for their other eight friends? Where did the parents get the idea to forgive the killer and his family? You see, even in a fundamentalist group like the Amish, the center is Christ. A man on a cross, loving people who did not love him back, dying for people who hated him, offering his life as a sacrifice for, for, for those who were trying to take it from him. And having that at the center of our faith fundamentally changes how we relate to other people. We're all the lame person. If you see people who are arrogant in their Christian faith, then you are seeing someone who doesn't understand the message at all. The second objection Religion is a matter of personal preference. You know, as long as you ought to be free to choose, do what you want, and, and as long as it works for you, then it's okay. As long as you're sincere. You know, that's kind of like me saying, you know, I like IHOP instead of Waffle House. That's just personal preference. Or maybe I like Burger King more than I like McDonald's. That's just a personal preference. You know, or it was just whatever. You just have personal preferences. And, and it doesn't matter. Some of you, to unwind, you like to go to a rock concert and scream your head off. Others of you want to go for a walk in the woods where you don't hear nothing except animal noise and, or out on the, on the lake in a kayak. It's a personal preference, what you enjoy doing. So people, they think that religion is that way. But really, should it go into that category at all? Uh, let me just give you a little bit of history, and this will help a little bit. Our, our Western philosophy that you and I 
live by today is still very influential today actually began in the 1700s in the enlightenment period and, and the guy who really developed it's called the father of modern philosophy is a guy named Immanuel Kant <clears throat> and and he said religions are subjectively helpful but not objectively true now let's be clear about the difference between subjectivity and objectivity objectivity well, what's the capital of New York State? Is it New York City or is it Albany? Well, it's Albany. That's objective. It, it is. That's just the way it is. Subjective is I'm a really good looking guy. And you're sitting there going, huh? Yeah, yeah. you don't look in the mirror very often. And uh, that's subjective. Uh, my husband's better looking than you. My wife, I mean, you know, that's just subjective. It's what you think is pretty or not or handsome or not. And it's just subjective. And so Kant was saying that religion is subjective. And, uh, and so, and most of society has followed that since the 1700s. But are our beliefs in God really subjective? Is the experience of salvation really subjective? Is faith in Jesus good for us only because it works for us and we've chosen to follow it? Well, that's not what was taught in this miracle. Jesus is objective. He said, I am the truth and the life. Nobody comes into my father's kingdom except through me. That's not subjective at all. See, this lame man, he couldn't walk. He needed a real power to heal him. He didn't need stories about Jesus to feel warm and fuzzy. He didn't need parables that would persuade him to be nice to people and encourage him to share his lunch with somebody. He needed real power to give him strength in his dead legs. And so Peter is saying salvation is like that. Our salvation is accomplished by the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus didn't get out of the grave because of subjective preference but because God's objective power over death. And that's what is needed for our soul's salvation. Not a subjective feeling, but an objective power of new life. You know, um, our salvation is not about a new philosophy or feelings of comfort. It's about a sin debt that you and I cannot pay. And Jesus paid it for us. That's what it's about. And he did that for us. There is, no, there is salvation in no one else, according to the scripture. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which... We must be saved. So did Jesus really raise from the dead? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then he has done something to save us that we could not do for ourselves. And if Jesus really did raise from the dead, are you willing 
to let him make the rules about salvation. They're his rules, not ours. And I hope that we as a church can be like Peter's witness. Peter was bold, but he was also humble. He was tenacious, and he was urgent. How can I not talk about Jesus? So be bold, be humble, be tenacious, be urgent. Let's pray.